How's everybody doing tonight? Y'all good? So we're going to do a little Genesis tonight. I've been pretty excited about that for like three months now. Um, if you got your Bibles, turn to Genesis chapter 1. You open up the Bible, you turn a couple pages, you'll hit some, uh, some copyright things, and then you'll hit Genesis. It's kind of funny, they copyright the Bible. I think God's like, what, the, what are you doing? Um, Genesis chapter 1, I'm so excited to be back here teaching. It's been a while for me, um, even though I've been here off and on. And can I just make a confession to you? This is my favorite place um, to teach the Word of God, because uh, I love you guys. And, and even as Dean was talking earlier, um, God was just like, I was back there not even hardly listening to him, but praying for you. I, I pray to God that you would catch that vision, that your life is not your own. And I prayed, just like Pastor Rummage said, I am praying dangerous prayers for you. I'm praying that God would take you to dangerous places and take you to do things that people would look at you and say, you are crazy. You would say, no, I love Jesus, right? I'm praying that for you as your pastor. Um, Genesis chapter one, let's dig in. Who was at the beach last week? Made the beach. That's pretty sweet. Um, we, we were there. Just this is free. Um, we were there. You, you guys know I have a little girl. Her name's Ava. She's three. Super cute. So Ava, we brought Ava to the beach. The whole time Rachel's like, "Do you think it's okay if I bring Ava?" I'm like, "Yeah, it's gonna be. It's it's gonna be super laid back. She can come. She'll have fun." So we're there at the beach. And before you guys got started, um, I, Ava was playing with the reeds behind where we were sitting and kind of messing with them. And she was like pulling them out of the ground, right? Like we're talking about creation. She was destroying creation. So, um, so Rachel's like, don't, don't mess with the reeds anymore. Don't play with the reeds. And, and so we've, we're trying to teach Ava a lot about Jesus and about God. We have this little Jesus storybook Bible. We read her every night, and she knows the stories. She's starting to learn stuff about God. We ask her, who loves you the most? Jesus, God loves you the most. So she looks at Rachel, my wife, and, and, and my wife says, don't, don't do that anymore. Do not pull the reeds out of the ground and mess with the reeds. And she was like swinging them around and stuff. She looks up at Rachel. This is coming to me secondhand from Rachel. Then she looks to the sky and she says, Jesus, can I play with the reeds? <laughs> now, we're teaching her a lot about the sovereignty of God and the authority of God. I think uh, we've gone too far. we got to back that down a little bit. She goes over the parental authority of my wife to Jesus himself, right? <laughs> and says, Jesus, she said, Jesus, can I play with the reeds? And then Jesus answered her <laughs> and said, yes, Ava, you can play with the reeds. I've never heard Jesus speak audibly. I'm pretty sure he doesn't sound like a girl, right? <laughs> a three-year-old girl at that. So uh, that was pretty awesome. We're working on that. Genesis chapter 1. Go there with me. Um, we are starting this year off, this school year, and we're going to walk through what we're going to call the story. And um, there's, a, there's a guy named Lawn Chair Larry. I don't know if you ever heard of Lawn Chair Larry. He was a, this was in the paper a few years ago. It was on the news. This guy who wanted to be a fighter pilot, but because of his health, he couldn't. He was turned down by the Air Force. He wanted to fly his whole life. So Lawn Chair Larry, living in Alabama, super redneck kind of guy, not because he's from Alabama, sorry. Um, he gets 40 weather balloons. He ties them. He fills them up. He ties them to his lawn chair. And he's sitting in the back of his pickup truck. This is what the newspaper said. And he had himself tied down, and then he cuts the rope. I don't know if you know how big a weather balloon is, but it, one of them will lift you off the ground. Forty of them will take you to Jesus, right? <laughs> so he starts to lift off the ground because he had this desire to fly. 
40 weather balloons takes him a couple thousand feet in the sky in his lawn chair, okay? <laughs> he gets up so far that a, a, an airport tower picks him up on their radar. And they, they radio in a plane, like radios in, says, there is a guy in his lawn chair floating around. So Larry has his shotgun, right? <laughs> and uh, he, defi- he figures he's going to need to get down somehow at some point. He begins to shoot the weather balloons to descend. Larry shoots enough weather balloons to descend and gets caught in a tree. He hangs there for three hours and they come and get Larry down. When, when they interviewed Larry, they asked him, why did you do that? And he said, sometimes you, you just have to get out of your yard. <laughs> so, uh, so you're like, what does that have to do with anything? Larry had a panoramic view of the world for about an hour, right? Probably messed his pants too, but we're not going to do that this year. Um, we are going to take a panoramic view of the Bible though. And we are going to walk through the, the major themes of the scripture and kind of get a, a big picture view. We're not going to go all the way, every verse, everything, but we're going to have a big picture view. And so we're starting in the beginning, okay? Genesis chapter 1. And here's the deal. The story that we're going to walk through is God's story. It tells us that right here as we start. So as we walk through God's story and we see this unfold, what we're going to see is that it's God's story. It's, the Bible is not the manual for your life. Anybody ever heard that? Bible's a manual for your life? I was driving down the road the other day. There's a church that has a church sign that says, the Bible is a GPS for your life. That sounds really good on a church sign, but the Bible is not the GPS for your life or the manual for your life because I only use a GPS when I need it, right? I only use a manual when I need it. Most of the time I try not to because I don't like to read them. The Bible is not the manual for your life. The Bible is the story of the living God. Don't, don't decrease it to be some manual. It's a story of God, and it's a story about how we fit into the story of God and how a big, gracious God has invited us in, right? And so origins for the next few weeks, we're going to be looking at Genesis 1 through 4 and seeing how that all works out. Genesis 1, here we go. You ready? Let's do this. Genesis 1 says this. In the beginning, it's kind of like the Pledge of Allegiance. We all know it. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. It says, in the beginning, God, because this whole, this whole deal is about God. Genesis was written by a guy named Moses. How do we know that? Because Jesus told us that. Um, a lot of people argue with you, but Jesus said it was written by Moses. In the New Testament, I believe it was written by Moses. But, but it was written about 1,400 years roughly before Christ. So we're talking about this book that is about... 3,500 years old, roughly. This is a sacred text that we're about to walk through. But it says this, verse 1. It says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now that word, we're going to kind of look at some words here. They're going to guide us through the first five days of creation, okay? And y'all just kind of strap in because we got some ground to cover here. Um, If you go to the next slide, you'll kind of see this. Um, In the beginning, the beginning is the Hebrew word rashid. I couldn't spell it out because it doesn't look very nice. Quite honestly, if you if you learn the Hebrew language and you start to write out some of the Hebrew words, they don't look like words that you would say around Jesus. So I didn't put that on the screen. Um, Rashid doesn't look like that when it's spelled, though, man. Uh, Rashid means at some point. So if you read this literally in the Hebrew, it would be at some point God created the heavens and the earth. At what point? We don't know. At some point, God created the heavens and the earth. What God is most concerned about is not the point in time. What God is most concerned about is it's his story and he's the creator. 
So check this out. At some point in the beginning, because it was the beginning of everything, it was the origin of everything. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The heavens and the earth there is a little term here in Hebrew called amirism. It's basically a catch-all. If you've got that junk drawer in your house, they may have a junk drawer in their house. You just, you just throw stuff in it or maybe a junk tray in your car. My car is a junk tray. Um, you've got that. This is, this is kind of what a mirrorism is. In the Hebrew language, there are some different mirrorisms. Heaven and earth is one of those. So a lot of times people look at this and say, God created the heavens and the earth. What it's saying is God created everything that we see. God created in the beginning at some point. When? At some point. But it was the beginning, and God was the one making it. Okay? There's two words for create here. I think they're on the screen behind me. These are going to guide us as we walk through the first five days of creation and maybe help us understand some things that sometimes are misunderstood. There's two words for create. There's two words. One word is bara. It's a Hebrew word, bara. It literally means to create from nothing, to create from nothing. It would be as if um, I didn't have a sandwich and I said sandwich, bam, and there was a sandwich there. That would be pretty cool um, when you're hungry. That's the kind of power God has, except he wasn't making sandwiches. I guess he made sandwiches. It's a mirrorism. He made everything. But it says this, um, that he made the heavens and the earth. So the first word for create is bara, to make out of nothing. But then the second word that is used in this text right here, we're about to look at for create, is asa. Everyone repeat after me. Bara, asa. Pretty cool. It sounds cool. You can impress people. Bara, asa. Asa means this. It means to make or to form something. So it's like if I had all the elements of a sandwich, but then I put my sandwich together. I put my sandwich in order so that I could eat my sandwich. Asa is a different way of creating. It's taking something that is there and putting order and meaning and structure to it. So when we see the word bara, we know that God is creating out of nothing. We see the word asa, we see that God is putting order to that which is there that he has created at some point. You follow me? Okay. So we're going to journey through this, this first five days and see that this is a great God doing an amazing thing. And then we're going to see what this, this passage is all about. Join me uh, as we continue to kind of go through this. Verse 3. Actually, look at verse 2. I want to bring something up here. The earth was form, was without form, and it was void. And darkness was over the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. It says that the earth was formed, it was without form, and it was void, and there was darkness. Now, there's been some, some different opinions on what this means when it says that the earth was without form and it was void. I've thrown these up here. You can go to the next slide. Some people think that it, was, it means basically utter chaos, that God created and then there's this big lump of clay, and it's just chaotic. There's cells and there's, there's atoms and there's stuff just floating around. It's like gases and all kinds of stuff. Some people think that that's what it meant when it said that the world was without form and void. But that's not really what the word means here. The more accurate kind of interpretation means this, that it was an uninhabitable land, that it wasn't good for man or woman to live in. It's not possible for humans to reside there. So when it says the world was without form and it was void, it doesn't mean that it was like this big lump of clay like Play-Doh and God's going to start doing something with it. It means that it was uninhabitable for man for whatever reason. We're about to see why. See, next week, we're going to talk about the creation of man and woman. But what's happening here is the first five and the the first half of the sixth day, God is moving forward to create his pinnacle creation, and that's you and me, created in his image. 
But what we're going to see is that before he could create us, he had to make it possible for us to live in the land. So check this out. It continues on verse three. We'll go there now. God said, let there be light. And there was light. And God said, let and God said that the light was good. And God separated the light from the darkness. And God called the light day. And he called the darkness night. And there was evening and there was morning on the first day. So the first day, it says that God created the light. Now, there's a, there's a bunch of different ways of seeing this. Obviously, I'm just going to kind of throw this out there. I believe that what's happening is a literal six days of creation. Okay? I believe that God made the world out of nothing, but then when he made it, it was something. It wasn't just a big lump of clay. So we believe that. I don't believe that God... Uh, I'm not a theistic evolutionist, the Big Bang Theory and all that stuff. I believe that God spoke it into existence. But there is a couple of ways of looking at this verse. I'm going to walk you through a way, and, and you may go, oh, I don't know. That's okay, right? If you believe that God made it, and I tend to believe he made it in a literal six days, then that's cool. But if God made the heavens and the earth, everything you see in the beginning— some people think this is a title. I think what this is is a statement. God made it in the beginning. Done. He made everything. I don't know how he did that, but he did it because he's God. Then what he begins to do on the first day and the second day and the third day and the fourth day and the fifth day and the first half of the sixth day is prepare it for us humans, man, woman, Adam and Eve, and everyone that will come after them. He prepares the land for us to live in. Why? Because he's a good God. Check this out. It says that let, God said, let there be light, and there was light. And God saw that the light was good and separated the light from the darkness. Now, you could see this as God saying, creating light. But if at some point before this, God made everything, then the light was made. So what's happening here? Well, some people would say that God made the light. Cool, I can job with that. Some people would say that God made the light at some point, and he is ordering day. He is assigning. When it says here, God said, let there be light, and there was light, and God saw that the light was good. The words here are not bara, they are asa. God is bringing order to day and night. There has not been order to day and night up to this point. You catching me? You following me? So God is basically telling the sun to rise and telling it when to set. And it says this, that he created the light and the light was there and he saw that the light was good and it separated light from darkness. And then on this first day, you hear this phrase, God called the darkness night. He called the light day. There was evening. There was morning on the first day. So what does God do on the first day? He calls the light to come up and he orders the day. He orders day and night and morning and evening. Why? For us. Check out what he keeps to do, keeps doing here. Look at the second day, Monday. First day was Sunday. Second day is Monday. Verse eight says this. God said, um, let there be an expanse in the midst of the waters and let it separate the water from waters. It's kind of confusing here. Verse seven. And God made the expanse and he separated the waters and there were under the expanse from the waters that were above the expanse. You're like, what? What, what are you talking about, Moses? Um, and it was so. And God called the expanse heaven, and there was evening, and there was morning the second day. Let me explain this, okay? This gets really confusing. He says, let there be an expanse in the midst of the waters. You may look at this and go, oh, God made water. No. Nope. Where does it say God made water here? God made water, but he made it in the beginning. What God is doing is he is assigning his creation. 
He is setting it to order. So here's what his, here's what's happening. There is an expanse, and it says, let there be an expanse in the midst of the waters, and let it separate the water from the waters. And God made the expanse and separated the waters that were under the expanse from the waters that were above the expanse. Here's what is happening. When it rains, where does the water come from? The sky, the clouds. Thank you. We have a meteorologist over here. Um, it rains. There is water in the heavens. We know that. There is water on the ground. We have rivers and oceans and puddles, right? Ava likes to jump in them. We have an expanse between those. It's called the sky. What God is doing is he is taking the earth and he is taking the waters and he is separating them and creating an expanse. What he created on this day was the expanse because he knew without that, man and woman could not live on the earth. He is assigning his creation. Keep going. It says this, verse 9. Oh, notice this. This is pretty interesting. It made me laugh when I was reading this. Um, every day where God is creating, he says that it's good. Monday is not good. <laughs> Look at it. Here's what it says. It says, um, God called the expanse heaven, and there was evening, and there was morning the second day. He never said that Monday was good. God agrees with me that Mondays are not good. No. <laughs> Just kidding. Mondays are good, too. Verse 9. God said, let the waters under the heavens be gathered together into one place, and let the dry land appear, and it was so. God called the dry land earth, and the waters that were gathered together he called the seas. And God saw that it was good. And God said, let the earth sprout vegetation, plants yielding seed and fruit trees bearing fruit in which their, in which their seed according to each kind on its earth. And it was so. And the earth brought forth vegetation, plants yielding seed according to their own kinds, and trees bearing fruit in which their seed each according to its own kind. And God saw that it was good. And there was evening and there was morning on the third day. So what does God do on the third day? Well, let's kind of walk through this. It says, let the waters under the heavens be gathered together into one place and the dry land appeared. So on the third day, we see land appear. But if God created everything at some point and now he is assigning the land, then what is happening here? Well, some people would say, and this is an opinion. Some people would say that God is bringing the land up out of the water. Some people would say that the word land here is actually a specific piece of real estate. That it's not really talking about the whole earth, but what God is doing is he's preparing a place for Adam and Eve called the garden, which will ultimately be the promised land for Abraham and his people. It will ultimately be the place where the children of Israel will live. If you read Genesis in light of the whole Pentateuch, which is a part of the Pentateuch, the Pentateuch is all about the promised land. So if you read it in light of that, you may look at this and say, well, the land may not mean the whole earth, even though God did create the whole earth. He made the land. We know that. But what is God saying here? God is saying he's bringing the waters and he's separating the waters and he's separating the expanse and he brings this piece of real estate and he's doing it for the man and the woman so they can live in it. And he calls it good. And he calls it good. He's preparing the land. He's assigning the land. And the land is not prepared until something else happens. Watch what he continues to do on this third day. It says, let the earth sprout forth vegetation, plants yielding seed, and fruit tree bearing fruit in which their seed, each according to its own kind. So God on this day gives us vegetation. But most specifically, here's what it says. God gave us fruit trees. Who likes fruit? He gave us fruit and berries. God is pro fruit and berries, right? He gives us fruit and berries for the people to eat. 
So he's preparing the land for them to live in. He brings it forth. And then he says they can't live there without something to eat. So it says that there's vegetation and he brings forth these fruit bearing plants. And I think this is really interesting because it said each to its own kind, it will produce seed. See, this this blows apart evolution, each to its own kind. Everything God makes is each to its own kind. It says that throughout this passage, each to his own kind. So like when, when Rachel and I were about to have Ava and Ava was born and she came out, I didn't like, man, I am so glad that that was not a goat that came out. <laughs> I hate goats, right? No, we knew it was going to be a human being because it's each to its own kind, right? That's just a little soapbox. Okay, continuing on. It says this. So he gives them land. He gives them food to eat. But then it continues on after the third day, the fourth day. It says this. God said, let there be lights in the expanse of the heavens to separate the day from night and let them be for signs and for seasons and for days and for years. And let them be lights in the expanse of the heavens to give light upon earth. And it was so. And God made two great lights. The greater light ruled the day and the lesser light ruled the night and the stars. And God set them in the expanse of the heavens to give light on the earth, to rule over the day and over the night and to separate the light from darkness. And God saw that it was good, and there was evening, and there was morning on the fourth day. So then the question arises. God is making day and night. He's making, it says here, the light for signs and for seasons, for days and for years. So you may ask the question, wait a minute, didn't God make this light like a couple days ago? If, if God made the light a couple days ago, and now he's making the sun and the moon and the stars, what is, what, what is going on? Did God forget that he made that? Uh, oh, I'm sorry, I've already made the sun. What? No. This is, this is a point of a lot of controversy and conversation and discussion, and a lot of people think a lot of different things. But here's what you have to know. In this, it says this. Look, look back at this, this passage here, verse 14. It said, Let there be lights in the expanse of the heavens to separate the day from the night, and let there be signs for seasons, for days and for years. And let them be in the lights of the expanse of the heavens to give light upon the earth. And it was so. Some people would say that what God is doing here was not so much bara creating as asa creating. He's setting the seasons in place. He's setting the days in place. He's setting the calendar in place. Right? Why? Because he's a good God. And he's preparing the land for us to live in it. Right? And some people would say that as you look at this passage, it actually says that he barad all of these things, but then later it says that he asad them. So it's almost like the writer Moses is looking back to Genesis 1-1 where it says God created everything. It says, remember, God created everything. God created the sun, the moon, and the stars. And here's why. So they would separate the seasons and the days and the months and the years. That is why God made those things, to bring order to our lives, to put us in time. Sometimes I wish I did not have time, that I could just like have like 48-hour days, right? You feel the pressure of time sometimes, but God is ordering our lives for us. He's ordering our lives for us. It continues on and says this. That was the fourth day. The fifth day gets really interesting. God said this. Let the waters swarm with swarms of living creatures, and let the birds fly above the earth across the expanse of the heavens. So God created great sea creatures and every living creature that moves with which the waters swarm according to their kinds. There's that word again. And every winged bird according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. Now God says something here for the very first time that he hasn't said before. Verse 22. God blessed them. 
And he said, be fruitful and multiply and fill the waters in the sea and let the birds multiply on the earth. And there was evening and there was morning the fifth day. So it says this, that God created the fish in the sea, the birds of the air, and then he makes a proclamation. He actually gives the fish of the sea and the birds of the air a command. He says, make babies. Now, people who like to fish, they like that command. More fish, I'll catch one, right? I went fishing with uh, George Thomason. Don't do that. <laughs> Not unless you just want to be shamed, man. That guy can fish. We went, we went bass fishing in a boat, and, and I thought there were going to be a bunch of people. It was me, George, and another guy. So it is very obvious at this point that I cannot fish. And it was cold that day, and I was wrapped up and had this thing on my head. And he's like, now here's what you do, man. You just, you just got to do it. And he's showing me how to do it. Okay, I throw out my, my – and I'm praying to Jesus at this point. I throw out my line. I feel something tug, and George says, oh, you got one, right? And so I'm like, yeah, I got one, right? I'm show, I'm, I'm, I can fish, okay? So I pull it in, good-sized bass. We take a picture. The rest of the day, I caught nothing. George caught like 40 in five minutes, right? He's like, got one, got one. George likes the fact that God said to the fish, be fruitful and multiply. People who like to fish like that. But here's what God is doing. I want you to see this again. If in the beginning God created at some point everything, that means that he created the birds of the air and the fish of the sea. So what is happening here? Well, here's what I think is happening. Verse 21. So God created the great sea creatures and every creature that moves with which the waters swarm. The word there is bara. Means to create out of nothing. So you would read it like this, verse 21. So God created out of nothing the great sea creatures and every living creature that moves. But if you look at this passage, it's hearkening back to Genesis 1:1, and it's making a statement. In the beginning, God created the fish of the sea and the birds of the air. Why? Well, Moses is going to tell us why. So they could fill the sea and the birds would fill the air. So here's what God's doing: He's preparing the land for us to live in. And he's saying to the birds, birds. Come and fill the, fill the air. Fish, come and fill the sea. Some people would say that those things had been created, and he was filling the place where Adam and Eve would dwell with the birds of the air and the fish of the sea. He's assigning the land. Then he continues on and says this. And God said, let the earth bring forth living creatures according to their kinds. Verse 24. Livestock, creeping things, beasts on the earth according to their kinds. And it was so. And God made the beasts of the earth according to their kinds, and the livestock according to their kinds, and everything that creeps on the ground according to its kind, and God saw that it was good. So what is God doing here? Well, it says he's making livestock. What is livestock? Cows. Livestock is, is an animal um, that is usually stupid. I, I'm just being, you know. When we, I lived in Tennessee, and a big thing there was to go cow tipping. Remember me cow tipping? This is like the most inhumane thing to do in the world. Someone stands like kind of like on their, on their all fours beside the cow, and they tip the cow. Now, I've never been. I don't know how someone doesn't die, to be quite honest with you. Maybe you can explain this to me later. Uh, goats are stupid animals. Um, these are livestock, right? At this point, God is filling the earth with the livestock. Some would say he created livestock in Genesis 1-1 at some point. Some would say he created them right there. However you think that looks, God is filling the land with livestock. Why? Because he knows that Adam and Eve are going to need milk. They're going to need animals to plow the land. Later, when we see Adam and Eve created, he's going to tell them, I want you to work the land. I want you to tend the garden. So he fills it with livestock. And later, Adam gets to name the livestock. 
right? That's a lot of fun. We'll get there later. Keeps going. It says this, that it was good. So we get to verse 26, and we see God making man. And we're going to stop there for this week. Here's what I want you to see. God is bahrahing his creation out of nothing. Then he takes that which he created, and he is assawing it. He is setting it up for us. He's filling it with vegetation. He's filling it with trees so we can pick fruit from it. He's, he's putting the waters and the expanse in the sky. You say, what does that mean for me? It means that God is a good God, and he made this earth inhabitable for you and for me. That's good. Here's the deal. This passage was not really meant to be argued about and all of those things that kind of happen. You'll notice that I haven't tried to defend evolution versus creation tonight because that's not the point of the passage. When this speaks in Genesis 1, it assumes God. The burden of proof is on everyone else to disprove God. Right? The burden of proof is on everyone else to disprove God. But in our day, what we do is we try and defend God. And sometimes in our defense of God and trying to present all of our theories about creation versus evolution, we miss, we miss the meaning of the passage. Here's the meaning of the passage. God created, but check this out. I want you to see this. Here's what we see in the passage. A couple things. God is eternal and he lives outside of time. I want you to think about this for a second. God is eternal and he lives outside of time. You and I live inside of time. We're rushed. We run from class to class. We don't know how we're going to get our stuff done. God is eternal and he lives outside of time. He is unbound by the things we are bound by. He's a big God. God is eternal. He lives outside of time. God is independent. God needs no one. God is eternal. He lives outside of time. He spoke time into existence. God is also independent. How do we know that? Because we see God every single part of this passage, every single day, God said, God said, God said, God said. God needed no one to create. He didn't even use his hands. (laughs) He just spoke, and it was. So he's independent. Some people would say that God created Adam and Eve because he wanted or needed, let me say that, needed relationship with them. You may have heard that said before. God so longed for relationship, he needed relationship. Some people have even said God was lonely, so he made Adam and Eve. That's ridiculous. God needs nobody. He doesn't need us. Here's where the really amazing thing is, is that God in his goodness creates a land and he barras it and he assas it and he sets it up because he wants relationship with us. He doesn't need us. He needs no one. He's independent. He's self-sufficient. This also tells us that God is the living God, and all life comes from God. All life comes from God. To have life, it comes from the, the creator of life. Paul said it like this in Acts 17. He said, in him you live and you move and you have your being. The very person who stands up and says there is no God, with those very lips and with that tongue that they speak with, was the one that God gave them, and yet they curse God. God is life, and life comes from him. Right? Continues on and says this, um, God is transcendent over creation, meaning this, God is over creation. Some people, especially in places in Africa, worship the creation. There's places we go in Ethiopia where they are pantheists, which means they worship the tree. They think God is in the tree. God is not in the tree. God is not the tree. God is over the tree. God is the creator. We worship the creator, not his creation. 
God is transcendent over creation. He's above it. He's outside of it. But he chooses to step into it in Jesus, as we're going to see soon. Right? Also, God is beautiful. This passage tells us that God is beautiful. I've read a bunch of theology books in seminary. You guys like to read theology books. I have yet to see a theology book talk about the characteristics of God and use the word beautiful. But I think this passage tells us that God is beautiful. You may have never thought about God like that. God creates all this beautiful creation, and it's a reflection of who he is. We know that. And so God is beautiful. And if you go to atheistic societies like China, where the grip of communism and the grip of atheism has been on those places, and is just now in the past 10 years begin to loosen up a little bit, and most of the buildings we go into, they're very functional, but they're not beautiful because there is no God in those societies. And those places, those people that have been to China with you will tell you that. They're very functional buildings, but they're very dead and dry and cold buildings because atheistic societies do not reflect the beauty of God. There are some people in here who are extremely creative. In fact, I think all of us at some point are creative. You just have to kind of find where you are creative. Some of us are extremely creative, and we, we exude beautiful paintings and beautiful works of art and beautiful songs and beautiful poetry. That is from God because God is a beautiful, creative God. Sometimes we don't think about God like that. Genesis 1 tells us God is beautiful. It also tells us this, that God is sovereign. He answers to no one. God answers to no one. He speaks, and it's so. It tells us this also, that God is the prophetic poet. Notice this. Every single day, it says, God said, and it was so. God said, and it was so. God said, and it was so. God speaks, and beauty comes to being. And he says it's good. Why don't you think about this for a minute? I, we don't know this from the text. I've probably read too much C.S. Lewis, but sometimes I wonder if, as God was creating and assawing and barahing and all those things, if he didn't sing creation into existence. Isn't that a, just kind of an amazing thought for a second? That God, The Bible talks about God singing over us. He's a God who sings over us. I wonder if in those moments that, and the beauty of God, he sang creation into existence. We don't know that. Could be, could not. But he's a prophetic poet. God is good. All that he makes is good. He says, it is good. It is good. It is good. It is good. God is good. And God does not create sin or evil. That comes later in Genesis chapter 3 when the, when the man and the woman are led astray and that is entered into the picture. But God is a good God. Also this, God is gracious and he blesses. Notice this, it says that he blessed them, right? And he said, be fruitful and multiply. God is gracious and he blesses. But I want you to see this, the whole kind of big picture that we're going to see as we kick off this whole deal with origins and then eventually the rest of the story is this, is that God is creating and recreating. See, most of the time we think about story in our culture is very kind of influenced by Greek culture as beginning, middle, and end. That's story. But here's how the Hebrew culture thinks about story. They're more circular. A lot of cultures are like this, actually. Our culture is very linear. Other cultures are very kind of like this. They would think about it as beginning, middle, recreation, beginning. So what do we see in the Bible? We see Genesis 1. God is creating. He is barahing. He is assigning. He's creating out of nothing. He's putting into order. Then we see in the middle, we see sin and corruption and death and hurt, and pain. And then we see Jesus, and we see the recreation of us and of the world. And what do we see in Revelation? We see God making a new heaven 
and a new earth, and it begins all over the way it was supposed to be. God is a good God. Amen? He's a good God. And he did all of this because he wanted to set up the creation for what he's going to do next week when we talk about creating the man and the woman in his image. But you know why he ultimately did it? Because he wanted to show himself off. Say, that's narcissistic. No, it's not. For God to not want to show himself off would mean he is not God. I want a God who says, look at me. I am the foremost. I am the utmost. I am the chief end of everything. Worship me. And God in his creation is saying, I deserve worship. So you know what we're going to do? We're going to worship, right? I'm going to pray for you. And then um, these guys are going to come and lead us in time of worship. And you can respond however you want to respond to God tonight. You may say, what? Sometimes we take the Bible and we immediately want some like kind of like a practical thing to do. And I'm not against practical application. But sometimes we just need to read the Bible and be blown away by God. Right? That that practically means more to me than anything. Because a low view of God will lead to a very jacked up life. But a high view of God leads me to live a life of gratitude, life of worship because I've been blown away by God. And as we read through this passage, it blows my mind that God would do this so he could prepare the land for us. I'm going to pray. We're going to worship. Father, God, thank you so much that you are a good God. God, we thank you so much that you're a God who has blessed us. You have blessed us in so many ways. God, you have given us homes to live in, food to eat, family, friends. But God, as we see in this passage, God, you're a God who's created a land in which we can reside in. God, you've made it it a place where we can live. God, I pray that as we leave this place and tomorrow as we go about our day and we see the sky and we see the, the ocean, we see the trees, God, that we would know that those are things that communicate your love for us, God. That you have bavrad and created out of nothing, and then you have asad and you have set it to order because you love us and you love your glory. So God, we worship you now. We worship you because you're good, and we worship you because you have shown your love for us. Even in creation, you have shown your love for us. And so we worship you, Jesus. We pray that you would receive our worship, God. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Let's worship our Father.